This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> are you leaving or are you on your way back home? Either way, we want to be there. Doesn't matter how much baggage you claim. Give us a time and date. Terminal and gate. We want to send you off in style. We want to welcome you back home. Tell us all about it. Were you scared or was it fine? Welcome to Do You Need a Ride? This is Chris Fairbanks. And this is Karen Kilgariff. Hello, my friend, Karen. Hello, Chris. You know what? I'm cool as a cucumber right now, I'll tell you that. I'm casual as hell and in no way uh, freaking out about our guest today at all. It's no, fine. I'm not going to nerd out. This is a normal day and a normal guest that isn't going to make me act <laughs> uh, ridiculous in any way. <laughs> We, uh, as people who have a driving stand-up comics in a car to the airport podcast, yes. we're kind of not used to this level of fame, this mm-hmm. level of cultural immersion, sure. this level of uh, iconic. I was going to say iconic. Were you? But yeah. what's the noun you were going to put after iconic? Because now I can't think of what goes there. Uh, Iconic-ness. Iconic-ness. Yeah, of course. We should stop doing this part and introduce... Our guest. I think you're right, but I do like to say I do enjoy the beginning of our podcast often. I enjoyed <laughs> Look, what we just did, just to give us a little credit. But let us now introduce... We don't need credit. No, no. We need to start this podcast. Yes, we do. Ladies and gentlemen, yes. today... Right now. Our guest... Mm-hmm. It's Yardley Smith. I've <laughs> just been snickering into my hand for the last five minutes, <laughs> trying not to make a sound. <laughs> Maybe the best intro ever. Yeah, and you'll back me up, right? Iconicness is totally a word, right? I, I think it is. Yeah. I, I do. I it, do think so. I thought you were going to say, like, she's an iconic eggplant. <laughs> or, yeah, there was, it could have gone wrong. It could have gone bad after just the descriptor iconic. Could have. Yeah. Yeah. Iconic cushion. Yes. <laughs> she's she's an <laughs> You bring comfort to the world. Yes. That's right. 
How are you today, Yardley? We're so excited to see you. Yes. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. This really is an honor. I mean, Karen, I've been a fan of yours. Um, you, obviously, my favorite murder, you, you're you like, like the gold standard. Oh, you're thank you. You're who we all want to be. Thank and you, um, then I started listening to Do You Need a Ride? And I was super excited that I could maybe be a guest on this podcast with you and Chris. Yes. Well, now, thank you from me then. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, do you have a, a mural on your wall? Is that like jungle? It is a, and you can just find them online. It's a photo wall mural. It is wallpaper but you put it together like a puzzle it was six pieces and uh yeah it feels like i'm in hawaii every day sure. is it the jungle chris it is a tropical i i don't know where it seems like uh it is Belize. hawaii and then in my bedroom i have kind of a montana uh snow scene like a a mountain scene nice yeah yeah i put it up and finished it Days before we were all locked into our apartments for a year and a half. So it was perfect timing. You're like a visionary. You knew you were going to need some other areas to focus on. I started COVID. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, thanks for coming clean after all this yeah, time. Yeah, a lot of people are blaming a bat and it's just... Uh, it's, it was it's you. Fun. Yeah, it was along. just me. I have a laboratory. Yeah, it's a long story. Um, so you yourself... And I, I guess I could have said iconic podcaster because you've been doing small town dicks now for, is it five years? Uh, four years, actually. Four we, years. We launched in September 2017. Uh, uh, but we are in our ninth season. We do two seasons a year. And mm. it's going really well. I co-host with identical twin detectives, Dan and Dave, <laughs> which... <laughs> you, got, you tell that to people, they're like, that's not true. Yeah, that's a gold like, mine. <laughs> Then you add the extra layer on it, which is that aren't you married to one of those detectives? I'm engaged to Detective Dan, actually, which is pretty, pretty great. It's number three for me, number, third marriage for me. Nice. But, you know, third time's the charm. Number one for Detective Dan, so I hope he doesn't <laughs> fuck it up and I'm not the starter. <laughs> well, if he does, there's always his twin brother. <laughs> yeah, because that wouldn't be weird. You switch right over. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> I do. I think about that all the time. It's Every not time, the 1600s, Chris. <laughs> I know, but I always, uh, I grew up with identical twin best friends. My nieces are identical twins, and I always think about the pranks and scams they could pull looking sure. like each other. But yeah, of course, they all just live normal lives, and I'm the one with these twisted fantasies of twindom. Yeah. I think we, we do impose a lot of stories onto twins of all sorts yeah yes especially identical twins that's yes. a it's like the next level of twins really and dan and dave are what they call mirror twins so they're identical twins but dad is right-handed and dave is left-handed right Ooh. yeah yeah my friends that i grew up with we grew up skateboarding and snowboarding and yeah one is right-handed one's left-handed one stands goofy footed the other stands regular footed and that was always interesting to me because their mannerisms are also opposite of each other. It's such, I wonder if they're mirror. I've never heard that phrase before. I wonder yeah. what dictates that. I don't know, but they do have uh, very similar ma mannerisms. Now you can very much tell them apart, but when they were really small, 
they looked so much alike that you show them a photo of themselves. They're like age five and they're like, I don't know. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Only their mother can tell. Yeah. Like, holy shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like my friends. Then one day, one of them finally got his nose broken and we could always tell him apart. <laughs> Very generous. One of them had a perfect. So yeah, thoughtful. he did it for his friends. <laughs> He's like, I'll do, I'll take the hit. Fine. 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 (laughs) Is it easy to have um, a podcast with your fiance? Nope. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, uh, next question. Um, No, it's real. You know, on the one hand, it is, it's great because. I know him so well and I know Dave quite well at this point that I can so I'm the layperson in the podcast obviously and when we have a guest it's another detective who has investigated the case that they're talking about so all of the cases are told by the detectives who investigated them so mm. I'm the layperson who sits on the other side of the table and asks all of the questions that you would ask if you sat at that table no question is too dumb great but I'm also the person <laughs> who will not let those detectives, male or female, off the hook when I want to know if you're the person who's going to see the worst of humanity every time you leave the house because that's your job. Yeah. Where do you put that? Where does that go inside of you? Yeah. How do you do what you do and why do you do it? So for better or for worse, Dan and Dave have not been allowed to wiggle out of that answer. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's intense. It is intense. And, you know, sometimes... So I, I obviously I do the voice of Lisa Simpson. So I've been doing. Woo! Yay! You brought it up. We didn't bring it up. We didn't bring we it up. We didn't you bring it up. It out. <laughs> I wasn't even gonna bring up the S word. <laughs> Good grief! You can't do it. An audio presentation without Lisa Simpson. Yay! Lisa Simpson's in the house. <laughs> I was not going to ask you to do the voice. You did the voice. She did. did. You know why? She gets it and she knows and she's a generous human being. It means the world. I mean, I love that girl like (sighs) nobody's business. I really, and I feel like she's quite separate from me. Like she's so whole that she really seems, she exists in my heart, in my mind, like a a three-dimensional, living, breathing, red-blooded little person. Yes. I adore her. Yeah. what I've never thought about that. How much more fun that would be than being a villain your whole life in something and having to go there in your mind as opposed to a sweet, smart, <laughs> Like girl. one of the most beloved television children of all time. Yeah. Or maybe even children of all time because she really is the, the noblest of characters. She I is. Think. And it's funny that you say that, Chris, because people ask me all the time, how much are you like Lisa Simpson? What have you learned from her? And I don't think you can play a character for 33 plus years and not have them get inside of you. So I actually said, I'm really glad I don't play an asshole because imagine <laughs> doing that for 33 years and having yeah. that get inside of you. Yeah. Um, I think that would be a great deal harder. But Lisa Simpson is... So, um, she's so thoughtful and resilient and clever and funny. Like Lisa Simpson has a fantastic sense of humor. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things about her. So you can put her on a soapbox, but that really only works and doesn't become insufferable if you also remember that she laughs her butt off at Itchy and Scratchy. Right. So you (laughs) have to have those two things right side by side, you know? 
Yes. And she fell in love with Nelson. <laughs> she's she's <laughs> yes, truly human. Which I love. It was the best. Uh, that's one of my favorite episodes. Same. Of all. She's so beautiful. Yeah. You know, these two characters who don't know where they fit in in the world. They find each other and then have the grace to realize we're not good together as a couple, but I still really like you and appreciate you. I respect who you are. We're going to part ways and we're going to part friends. That was the thing that was so breathtaking for me as like, you know, late teens. When that show came on, there was a little girl on TV that was questioning things, that was like standing up to authority, that was into art, that was into being smart, being vocal, standing up for like all those things. I was just like, holy shit. And then everything else going on in the show, she's this perfect counterbalance. Yeah. And yet at the same time, you're right. She's not, she's still a human kid. You believe that about her. So like, Yes, of course, girls like that fall in love with Nelson Muntz. Yeah. You, when he's like, when he, it's, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful writing and it's beautiful performing. And it meant the world to finally see, I know so many girls like that, yeah. you know? That's so great to hear. Yeah, only it, she could see the good in him because she's riddled with compassion. She's the only <laughs> Simpson, I mean, the, in the whole show, fully compassionate character. I think she's definitely the most self-aware. I think Marge has, well, I think they all have compassion, but to your point, they aren't willing to really mind the depths of how much further can I go? You know, Lisa Simpson is, she's an overachiever in every way, even in the compassion little compartment. So I know, she's so um, accountable. Even when she gets her comeuppance, she just pulls up her socks and gets on with it. Yeah. yeah. Like she goes, okay, I'm going to learn from this and I'm going to try to do it better next time. She's all the best parts of a human being, I feel. Can I tell my nerdy Simpsons story yes. of, of being a super fan? <laughs> um, <laughs> when I lived in San Francisco, I was 21 and working at The Gap and starting stand-up comedy and everything was a little bit hopeless feeling and whatever. And when The Simpsons started, you know, it was like probably a year into the show running. Basically, there was a bar in Noe Valley. I wish I could remember the name, but we would all go. And so it was just a real standard, you know, like long, narrow bar with a TV in the back. And so it could fit about 50 people packed. And every Simpsons night, it would be packed. And so, you know, coming up on the time when it was starting, it was loud like a packed bar. And the second that opening music started, it would get quieter and quieter till the first line, it would be dead silent in this bar. And everyone would just stand and watch it. And if they had to laugh, this was almost like an unspoken rule. If they had to laugh, it would be like, and you had to (laughs) shut up immediately. And you didn't get to talk about what jokes you liked after they happened or whatever. You laughed and shut up. So it was dead silent until the commercial. And then everyone would be like, oh my God, this and da-da-da that. And then it would come back and it would go back down. And it was one of my favorite memories like of all time because it was like all these Simpsons nerds basically being like, it's more fun to watch it together, but we have to do it right. And don't (laughs) like, don't ruin my time. Don't make me miss one line, but we want to be together because once it would be over, everyone would just look around like, how is comedy of this quality being made in front of us. Like, we're so lucky 
to be alive right now. It was the most <laughs> fun, like, young thing I ever did. It was great. That's phenomenal. I love the idea of someone new coming that night to that bar. And it had to be called Moe's, right? Why, why that bar? <laughs> if only. And, and just laughing out loud and long and drowning out all the tags to jokes no and way. getting kicked out. Sorry, you yes. can come back next week, but you... That person would have been disappeared within 10 <laughs> seconds because these people were serious. It was San Francisco, and you know how San Francisco people can be serious about their arts and yeah. it was intense but it was it was like the most fun almost like secret thing too because this was pre obviously internet you know what I mean it wasn't like it got around or whatever it was just like if you were cool enough to know this was happening you would go and it was just amazing that's so great we used to get a lot of requests we had to sign the releases of course for college campuses so for the week of orientation they would run, they were requesting to run a Simpsons Marathon because mm. it was so culturally recognizable. It was so unifying that it was a great way to get the student body who hadn't been together yet or hadn't been together at least for many months together to sort of bond over something that they were all familiar with. It's pretty, I mean, that's pretty extraordinary. Yeah. yeah, to be used as a tool like that. What's more universal than the... It's a dean of a college deciding <laughs> that. I love it. Wow. And also, for 33 years, you've had an unbroken stream of insurance. That's yes. awesome. No, Karen, honestly. So I right. had a really robust on-camera career for the first... From like 17 to 33-ish. Yep. And then things started to change drastically. And it was, I think it was a sort of a confluence of things. I think it was, you know, the business was changing. Movie stars were doing television, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so I stopped getting on-camera work, which had really been my bread and butter. And uh, if not for The Simpsons, who knows? I mean, honestly, it kept me afloat and it kept me in the business. It kept me creative. Uh really, I really landed in the honeypot with this job. Yeah. I'd love to hear you say that because I think so too. It's been, a, I mean, honestly, a gift in every way. I, to love your character that much, to get to say the words of really the smartest people in the room, mm -hmm. um, and to have a show run. We're now recording season 33 is just, what the fuck? Huh? <laughs> How did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so crazy. Good. This whole time for it to be your voice so you can live a normal life and not be affected by people like uh, Mike Judge. I've always looked up to his fame because he knows no one really knows what he looks like. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, you're living a totally normal life. It's the best <laughs> of both worlds. Yeah. Yes, I do. Because I sound exactly like Lisa Simpson. This is me. This is Lisa Simpson. It's not yeah. that far away. <laughs> yeah. uh, and because I look exactly the same as I did when I started on camera, I just have a few more wrinkles, but I'm not one of those people you look at a baby picture and go, who's that? You go, oh, that's Yardley. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You really do look the same. <laughs> I as do. When, and, and this is going to, my dad one year, I think he climbed up the telephone pole in the alley and somehow hooked us up with HBO. Yeah. We had it Yes. For four or five years. And there was a show, a movie that I think I saw 12 times. It was just constantly on uh, called The Legend of Billie Jean. And I, oh, yes. I can't fully remember. All I know is I wanted a Honda Elite scooter. <laughs> yep. And that was somehow involved. And tons of stars are in it. Yes. Yep. Keith Gordon was in it. He went on to have a really uh, hot 
directing career. Helen Slater, yeah. Christian Slater, not actually related, no but relation. playing brother and sister. Yep. And they aren't in real life, no. right? No. No, they are No, no. Yeah, I've watched it so many times, and I knew who you were already because my sis I have an older sister that shared everything with me, and I had those Love is Hell, Matt Groening books. Oh, yeah, Life is Life and, Hell. Yeah. And so early, you were on the Tracy Ullman shorts, right? Yeah, you, I was on the shorts, but I wasn't um, on the sketch comedy show. Like, Dan sure. and Julie were actually in the cast of that. Of the oh, sketch wow. comedy show. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't realize Dan. I didn't was either. On that. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I knew right away. Because, like you said, it's a slightly different voice. And your voice was maybe even more Lisa like <laughs> yes. in The Legend of Billie Jean. <laughs> it's true. But, uh, yeah, it was all I remember from that show. And I don't want, this is weird, but I did not, I had a sister that told me about periods and told me about, I knew how bad she would cramp and how much pain <laughs> she is in. But I learned from you in The Legend of Billie Jean that blood was involved. There's a scene. Do you know? I learned about periods from that movie. And I, my back is sweating right now because I even brought it up. But that is, that and the scooter is all I remember. That's all you know about that movie. That's all there is to know, really. <laughs> well, it was, it was a bomb when it came out. I can tell you that. And then because of Cable, because Cable, so we shot it in 1984. It was released in 85. And Cable was just sort of coming into our lives, and they didn't have anything. So they it ran. It was on yep. all the time. 24-7 yep. for yeah. months at a time. And so now <laughs> it's like this cult classic. But I can yeah. tell you, it was barely out long enough to run the end credits <laughs> when it was released. But it was, <laughs> the 80s were that time where there were so fewer channels and so much less content, you know, that back then, yeah, you watched the same thing over and over and so did everyone in your class or at your school. So everybody exactly. knew this, you know, I knew your face from movie to movie because I was like, there she is again. You know what I mean? Like, it's the girl that I can <laughs> yeah. tell she's playing younger than her age because she has a younger voice, but she's really smart. So it's she's going to be like the sassy, precocious girl. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. That, you know, I you are a constant in our lives. That and, and Maximum Overdrive is the other one that came out around oh, the same yes. time. Oh, good God. <laughs> Another bomb. But now a massive cult favorite. Yes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's the one where the trucks took over, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A Stephen King movie directed by Stephen King, oh, the only one. Shit. Oh, So that's the yeah. one he likes, and he doesn't like any of the other ones? Um, well, interestingly, it's the one that he refers to in his memoir as being at the height of his addictions. Oh. And oh, so wow. <laughs> there were so many challenges on that movie. It was produced by Dino De Laurentiis. So most of the crew was Italian speaking. Oh, because Dino De Laurentiis is Italian, but at least when I met him, was real, really still speaking mostly Italian. Yeah. So the crew was Italian, and if they spoke English, they chose to speak Italian for the most part. <laughs> Stephen doesn't speak Italian, so we had a translator who would go back and forth. There was so much extra time. <laughs> and then at 5 o'clock, regardless of whether or not it was a day shoot or a night shoot, the beer would come out. <laughs> and oh, I was like, wow. oh. <laughs> Okay. Okay. All right. Whatever. And it, and then he would be blotto, you know, by, by six. Oh, my God. And we still had 12 hours to go. <laughs> um, but he was lovely. I will say that. He was humble and um, 
shy, and I, I quite liked him, but I'm not sure he... It was not an experience he cared to repeat, I gather. Yeah. So. We were actually just talking about this with um, Patton Oswalt because Georgia and Patton and I are all big Stephen King book nerds for sure. And we were talking about how he also talked about in his memoir how he wrote Cujo and I think he said Christine in a blackout. So he doesn't really remember writing them. Holy shit. Yeah, I mean, talk about getting stuff done and like... (laughs) Talk about a high-functioning alcoholic. Yeah, this is is almost like an advertisement for six o'clock beers. You can do it. It's not that hard. (laughs) It's not so bad. Come on. You only have the negatives. You don't ever... What about the the horrifying possessed dog books you could be writing? Yeah, yeah. Everyone thinks about when they're in AA, they forget about the maximum overdrives out there. (laughs) The reasons to stick with it. I'm kidding. (laughs) Yardley, what was your first, like, the first job you got in TV or movies? Uh, Very first job I got. So I had, I grew up in Washington, D.C., and I stayed there for a year after I graduated high school because I got several jobs at good theaters in D.C., but also I had not gotten into college. So (laughs) it wasn't like I had a lot of options. Um, Show business was your safety net. (laughs) Yes, I know. That's tough. (laughs) It's tough. And um, so in the course of doing those plays, I managed to get a New York agent, and I moved to New York when I was just 18. And I, within about six weeks, I was understudying on Broadway. Whoa. And I was understudying Cynthia Nixon in a Tom Stoppard play called The Real Thing. And the original incarnation on Broadway, you know, with Jeremy Irons and Glenn Close, Peter Gallagher, Christine Baranski, like— and it won all the awards, all the Tonys that year. And um, when Cynthia, Mike Nichols, who was the director, wow. pulled wow. Cynthia out of the real thing after only three months on Broadway and put her in his production of Hurley Burley. So I took over the role. And that's um, what an understudy is. I just always nod when someone says that. But you are essentially backup. You're backup. But yeah. what's interesting is you're almost never the replacement. So if if she had run, let's say, like when Glenn Close and Jeremy Irons' contracts were up, the understudies that I had been rehearsing with this whole time did not take over those roles. Mm. Oh, wow. They went elsewhere. It's brutal. And if I had known that, oh, my God. I was just like, well, of course I'll take over part. I'm the understudy. And like, oh, Yardley, you just don't know anything. Yeah, that's that's how it works at college, which is, you know, yeah. the fair way things go. But that's not Broadway. Not in the world. Yeah. So as the understudy, you did get Cynthia Nixon's part? I did. I did. So you yes. broke the, the standard rule. When, so when I auditioned for the part on Broadway, they didn't tell me it was auditioning for the understudy. They just said, come in and read for Jeremy Irons' daughters. Everybody in that play has one scene with the exception of Christine Baranski and Jeremy and Glenn, basically, um, and Peter Gallagher playing the lover. So uh, anyway, I was, and I impressed them and I got a call back and blah, blah. It was great. And then they went, great. So you got the understudy. And I said, what? <laughs> the what? Oh, no, no. Mm-mm, no, this is not part of the plan for world domination. And my agent at the time was like, who the fuck are you? Like, <laughs> sit down and shut up. You will take this job and be grateful. And I was like, okay. Um. okay. <laughs> so I would go to rehearsal every day. 
And then we did a, an out-of-town tryout in Boston <laughs> before we went to Broadway. And uh, I was I was a fairly, I was incredibly on the outside. I was very um, polite. I was 110% prepared. Um, you never saw what was going on internally, which was I was uh, miserable and in a panic that maybe this, I was just going to be this for the rest of my life. And hats off to, you can make a really good, solid career and a good living as an understudy. Mm. just wasn't what I wanted to do. And so um, I was like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I was pretty arrogant and a big baby, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's well that's the time to be it and you knew like you're like I meant for more than this which you were yes thank you I I just I do feel like I really was the I was just a person who would never quit like you I was just like just kept getting back up even though I it wasn't as though I would go to an audition not get it and take it all in stride I was destroyed every time yeah yo yeah I mean I was fucking destroyed every time. Yeah. Um, Auditioning is truly the worst. It's brutal. And I was just going to say, I'm not, I I feel like in many ways, I'm not really cut out to be an actor. I don't have the temperament (laughs) for it. I'm much too (laughs) soft. Um, Too late now. What are you? Yeah, too late. (laughs) And now I have no skills. So, uh (laughs) uh-oh, what are you going to (laughs) do? Yeah, I wonder about that. Are successful actors unaffected when they don't get something? Because it really bothers me. And I'm talking about cat food commercials and stuff, the things I'm going out for. That's some cat food, and then I drive back home. But, I, uh, yeah, it really bothers me when those things don't go well. And same with stand-up. If I, like, last night I didn't feel good about my set, and I kind of canceled my plans for the day. And I wonder, yeah, it's... I suppose it's an obstacle, but I keep working through it. But I'm I'm envious of people that are not bothered by failure robots. or feeling like they failed even <laughs> I when mean, they didn't. Come on. Uh, yeah, actually, robots. You guys talking about this reminded me, I actually used to talk about this in my act because one of the worst auditions I ever had was for The Simpsons. At some point along the line, because this was when I lived in LA, so it was like 90 495 and they were auditioning for people for they needed i guess more backup people voices or uh you know voila yeah 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 yeah. other cast members i guess or people they wanted to see if there were people that could do multiple characters or whatever and (laughs) i walked into (laughs) so it was literally one of the first la auditions that i ever had um which means it was one of the first auditions aside from like musicals in sixth grade or whatever. And <laughs> I walk into this conference room. The table goes on forever. It looks like, you know, a Coen Brothers movie of executives who aren't interested in seeing the audition. So and welcoming. <laughs> and there's there's like a little, uh, you know, a microphone and the script in front of me. And the person running the camera is all the way at the other end. And they say, okay, Karen, um, Whenever you're ready, you can slate yourself and then begin. But I didn't know what slate yourself meant. And I knew what a slate was. And I'd seen the prop of a slate (laughs) in things. So I stood there smiling and like going, what are you going to do? Because you don't know what that means. Like you can't just begin because clearly there's a step before. And so I kind of just stood there afraid to ask, but also kind of afraid to do anything. And then again, the woman said, okay, Karen, just go ahead, slate yourself, and then you can start. And then so finally I went, because I was like, well, okay, if you want me to. So I went, 
My name's Karen Cabrera. <laughs> Take one. And went like that with my arms. <laughs> oh, oh, my Karen, God. That's amazing. I just want to hug you so tightly. But, oh. but at the same time, that's exactly what I wanted you to do. <laughs> it's the best story. <laughs> it was. It was just like, wait, why didn't I take one class where we just went over terms? Or, you know what I mean? Oh <laughs> like, here's what God. it might be like. But Except I like, that, I'm guessing at the end of the day, they didn't actually know you didn't know what that meant and that you were being funny doing the slate it's with your arms. It's yeah, brilliant. I guess. It's brilliant. <laughs> I guess. I mean, like, yeah. It's that kind of thing where I think the way auditions affected me also made me believe I shouldn't perform in like this business because I want things that I don't actually like. I'm doing things <laughs> that feel really bad. I'm furious at every person <laughs> at that conference room. And it's literally 30 years later plus. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It just like, it affected me forever of like, oh, this is a quote unquote big failure where it's like, it's not. No one gives a shit. It was probably like the most fun thing that happened that day. But when you're the one that's fucking yes. up, it never feels that way. It doesn't feel that way. But now I have to say, now you've come full circle because you and Georgia were caricatures on the wall of our faux Sardis Ugh. on the podcast news episode I where mean. Kent Brockman gets, he starts his own <laughs> podcast and then he actually encounters me, Yardley Smith, yeah. and he says, you sound familiar. And I, he says, where do I know you from? And I say, from my podcast, Small Town Dicks and Nowhere Else. It's <laughs> <laughs> a big sort of winky winky inside joke but on the wall in yep. that restaurant is fantastic Karen and Georgia Simpsonized in, in Simpson cartoons and not like not like rip off internet Simpson art right. like the real artist the it real deal unbelievable this isn't the first you're hearing of this Karen is it no no because um, I mean that is awesome the funny thing is I've known Matt Selman who is now the EP oh, since he the was best. the writer's PA on on that Simpsons. He's one of the first people I met in Los Angeles. Like, we used to hang out all the time when we were younger. So he actually texted me that picture of like, hey, you might want to watch tonight's episode. And I was like, oh, holy wow. fuck, what am I looking what at? What is like, happening? Beyond. I mean. So great. Beyond. He, he is just one of my favorite people of all time. He's so smart. He's so incisive. He's He just will not let the ball drop even a little bit and yeah. let alone let it roll under the sofa. That is not who Matt Selman is. And he he has been the number one Simpsons fan since he started at that job. Like he, the idea that someone that's running it is as passionate, you know, and has been there for as long as he has and is as passionate about it. It's just like, it's very beautiful. It is beautiful. I adore him. Yeah, he's phenomenal. <laughs> for the longest time, have you been... Uh, not seeing those people? Were you just recording in your home or how did it work for a while? So before the pandemic, we would um, get together in a big conference room with a big <laughs> conference table. And slate yourselves. <laughs> and slate yeah. ourselves. <laughs> of course. You got to do the hand clap. Yeah. Um, with the writers, so the actors, um, sort of clustered all together and the writers at the other end. And then our showrunner, Al Jean, the other showrunner next to Matt, they like to have an, a little audience in that conference room. So the walls are lined with like 50 people. Yeah. And then we would read the script out loud. It was the first and only time the writers would hear it all at once before they started to put the pieces together in animation. So based on how that read-through goes, 
well or not so well, uh, how many laughs you get, would dictate how that rewrite would go. Then 10 days later, we record that episode. We used to record all together like an old radio play. Mm. It was fantastic. I would stand between Dan, who does Homer, and Nancy, who does Bart. (laughs) Um, And to watch Dan, for instance, go from voice to voice to voice, or Hank or Harry is just, I mean, it'll never get old. No. And you just sit there just like, (gasps) yeah. It's Pure so joy. hard to not watch The Simpsons and not think you're actually running around playing saxophone. Or, <laughs> th- like, the fact that you're all just standing there and going through it like a radio play is amazing to me. I actually never realized that. Or, yeah, that's yeah, so cool. Yeah, it's pretty... We would do each scene four times, and then if it still wasn't right, we would do pickups. And then from that one record, they would piece it together and start to animate. Meanwhile, it takes about nine months to animate one episode. Mm. Oh my! So life. we, I go in for ADR probably at least three times per episode at various stages of that animation process. And when the pandemic hit, we started to do our read-throughs over Zoom. So there's like 65 people on that Zoom, <laughs> which is insane. That's crazy. And then a year ago in August, they said, we had, then we started to record from home one at a time. Okay. And I have really good equipment, but you can't account for the barking dog and the, right. you know, children screaming next door and the garbage truck and the and you were <laughs> using police Zoom? helicopter. Is Zoom for that as well? Cause- no, no. Well, I would be directed over Zoom, but I would be, you know, recording into a, an external recorder. But still, because my room doesn't sound like somebody else's room, there was so much cleanup on the back end. It was so labor-intensive. So when they said, you can come in one at a time now into the studio, still be directed over Zoom by one of the writers, and the engineer will be in the booth 15 feet behind you if you want. And I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, sign me up. I'm doing that. <laughs> so yes. now we do it on, on our own by myself, which is not my preference. You know, of course, the way you say something is going to inform the way I would respond. So I really love playing off my fellow um, castmates, but... We're such a well-oiled machine at this point. We can do it, but I i don't know. I think it loses a, just a tiny bit of the nuance and the sort of uh, spontaneity. Yeah. 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 I mean, Zoom got better as far as timing. In the beginning, uh, there was a delay depending there on— There still is, though. Yeah. No, Chris, if you have to—if we were doing—so literally ADR is when you have to dub to picture, right? Sure. So we do a lot of pickups, and then we do some ADR. If you were doing ADR to picture, fuck me. <laughs> it was so hard. Do you have to do it early, like, because of the delay? De- you would have—you would hear the beep, and so I would be late, yeah. right? I would hear it, but it was already— just a half second late. And so the whole, all the sync was off. It was just, it was really hard. Yeah. Were you able to watch episodes and would anything bother you? Could you tell there is a difference or was it something they could fix? Yeah. No. We're, we're, I mean, by and large, if I, I, and I can usually tell if my rhythm is right, but I'm slightly off, you can slide it, right? If I started half a second too early and I ended half a second, too late, then you could slide it and still make it fit. Nobody likes to do that. They're like, Yardley, you'll do that again. I'm like, yes, I will. <laughs> so, um, I don't think you can tell, but I I feel it in my heart. 
Yeah, I got it. <laughs> you know? I just, I feel like our, especially compared to when Karen and I drive around and there's actually distractions, like... I really, really want to one day come and be in the car with you. Yes, yes you have, you have to, to, please. We are going please. to hold you to that, and I just wrote it down. Yes, <laughs> literally, I'm That'd texting so nine fun. people. Yeah, but yeah, to suddenly be in a position where it's just dependent on our overlapping conversation the the podcast kind of changed i think yeah. people sure. still like it but well uh, i think I, comedy I, people like what i just did to you right now like that, <laughs> no, that was a, zoom you didn't do that that was zoom but i mean like the <laughs> stepping on of things where part one and i know i'm sure you know this too yardly but it's like part of the chemistry of comedy is the timing that's so precise that yeah. like when Chris is talking, I know when he's about to end and I know when I'm going to go yes. boop right at the end. And that kind of thing getting fucked up on Zoom <laughs> is so, it's just like bad auditioning. It's like heartbreaking in a way where it's like, not only do you not know that I would be really good at going boop right now, but now <laughs> I look like kind of a rude asshole or like I'm just kind of like, blabbing around it, it's yeah. the opposite effect basically. yeah yeah and exactly. we're all of a sudden where people are listening like why are they always apologizing to each other now because it's so <laughs> abrupt when oh i'm sorry you were saying something no i'm sorry no and i'm back, now i can't remember what i was gonna say my yeah, hilarious yeah. joke that i completely derailed this whole train for <laughs> is like now gone out of my head yeah and then where in the past if something like that happened we just go oh look a mattress store or yeah whatever <laughs> What's this guy doing? What's I mean, I want to get back in the car. We used to, if if we had to slam on the brakes, Karen would always put her arm in front of me like <laughs> sure. a, a motherly gesture or a book bag. She didn't want the book bag to spill. I just, I miss that. I miss. It's the, a whole different. Yeah, you're definitely gonna have to come back for the, yes, yes. The car. I'm doing here. it. Okay, I'm, I'm just. I'm gonna find out where you are, and then I'm just gonna hitchhike on the corner if you don't pick me up and be really, really bummed. <laughs> To everyone else, it'll look like a very uh, synchronized kidnap where we just yank you into a car and peel out. Yeah. But Perfect. We'll know it was booked. We'll know yeah. it was a plan. <laughs> I also like that we're all complaining about what I've always believed since I started auditioning for TV shows. I knew that the gig to get was a voiceover job. I knew that that actually that's what I should be aiming for yeah. because this whole idea of like Hollywood perfection and all the yeah. different things that was also simultaneous to am I even talented enough to be doing this is now am I perfect enough or blah, blah, blah. I was like, all this is bullshit. I need to get, yeah. I, need, <laughs> I need to slate myself and get yeah. a voiceover job. Yeah. And that's the idea that we all got to be in jobs that didn't have to stop during quarantine is like, Thank God. Thank God everybody figured out how to adjust so quickly. Right. It's a miracle. You know, show business on camera really, really took such a hit, but The Simpsons was able to continue unabated. And I, I recognize how lucky we were for that. For sure. Yeah. Amen. I just said that because it was a conclusionary thing. Hallelujah, <laughs> you two. Hallelujah. God, I get religious. Chris gets, this is the prayer corner where Chris gets to do a little bit of his born-again Christianity. Yeah, oh, it's, a, it's a new thing I've been doing. Anyway, I'm going to read now from 1 Corinthians. Oh, come on. <laughs> we were so nervous about trying to keep our nerdiness pented in about your career and your presence in our lives. Oh, and I the idea am. that you let us not do that is, is thank you so much for doing that because 
I didn't know how we were going to do it otherwise. <laughs> I was like, I got to tell my Slate story. I just have to. I love that Slate story. <laughs> it's so charming. It's so vulnerable. It's so funny and wonderful. <laughs> I just think it's brilliant. Thank you. And I really think like that belongs in a movie. <laughs> it is so Karen. It's so it's so lovely. It's it's such ah the essence of you. I just love it. Thank you. I love it. And it really is that kind of thing. Like yay to be in a position where yes, this get, it gets to be a full circle experience. Like it really is one of those things. The older I get, I go oh I see. Those are the things that it's not. That's not the final chapter of the slate story. Yeah, because. <laughs> You know, it's not all over, but like that day slinking away and just being like, what am I doing? Why am yeah. I? I'm from a farm. I don't belong here. <laughs> yeah. And yes. it continues to be because I know what a slate is, but it's different for commercials, which I'm used to. And like where you I don't even remember. I'll just give profile and say how much I weigh <laughs> and who my agent is. And they're like, oh, your name will be fine, sir. <laughs> Like, I, I still don't know, because it is always different. And yep. everyone at those judgy long tables oh, thinks it's tables. slates oh are universal. Oof. The worst. And now, I mean, I haven't auditioned it a long time, not because I get parts, but because I no longer have an agent because I stopped getting parts. Yeah. I put my foot down when all I was auditioning for were parts that had no name, like secretary <laughs> Mm -mm. neighbor. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I've been in this fucking business for, at that time, 30 years. I'm like, I have to go. <laughs> so. <laughs> Is that why you, I, I just saw the uh, trailer for Gossamer Folds. And oh. it, it's really seems like a sweet and important movie. And uh, did you find the script? How did you end up producing and acting in that? Yes. Yeah, so uh, I have a, a production company that I co-founded called Paperclip Limited. And we formed the company, my business partner, Ben Cornwell, and I, because we wanted to be the people to say yes first, mm. because it's so hard to get a yes in this town. Yeah. yeah. And um, so a friend of mine, an old friend of mine, brought me the script that had been written about 10 years prior to us producing it. It had Somebody else had optioned it that had fallen away, and I read it, and I loved it. And it's about a trans woman of color in the 1980s in a small town in the Midwest, and she ends up befriending this uh, 10-year-old boy who moves next to her and her dad. He moves next door with his family. His parents are on the brink of divorce. And so... Oh, that dad, these... that dad. His dad seems like a real jerk. I just want to say that. He's a prick. He's a prick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and so it's a wonderful, just sort of um, fox and the hound kind of friendship. These two unlikely characters who just find each other and find a place to kind of meet in the middle. And she becomes this trans woman who's trying to get to New York to go to the ballroom scene in New York in the mm -hmm. 80s. Um, sort of takes this little boy under her wing and just says, you know, I'll be your friend. It's going to be all right. Yeah. And we had this brilliant uh, trans actress named Alexandra Gray, who's going to be a huge star, uh, play Gossamer. She was the first she was one of the first audition tapes I saw, and, and she was the one to beat. She was, there was never anybody else. And wow. it's funny in this town, you know, if you find somebody that early, they all like, well, you can't choose that person because you might miss something. I'm like, what the, who, what? <laughs> yeah. That right. is the person. Yep. She's the person. We <laughs> yeah. need her. Yeah. No, I got to, let's be choosy. I have to right? validate my job as a casting person. Yeah. Ridiculous. 
So it's wonderful, and we just got a got a distributor. We, it's it's you know it is a, it's so much easier to sell a horror film. This is a a really lovely film about people and sort of a coming of age for the little boy. And um, but we did finally get a distributor. It's a beautiful film, and I'm excited for people to see it. Yeah, so it's just coming soon. Uh, yeah, really sweet. That little boy is so sweet, and I am. He's in everything. He works more than all of us. Really, <laughs> I didn't recognize. <laughs> him. Oh my yeah. god, he's great. That oh, the yeah. trailer. I have to see it. I I, I honestly really. Thank uh, you. Already is it going to be in it. movie theaters? Like movies are going back to the theaters. Now. Yeah, it was like, on yes. AMC. It, it just said because I looked it up to see if I could see it. It just said coming soon. So, oh, but okay, cool. Already being recognized by AMC, huh? I'm here with <laughs> yeah. that news. <laughs> I don't know that you knew that. I didn't actually. Yeah, well, um, the in, they, I always have the inside Hollywood <laughs> scoop, don't I, Karen? <laughs> you really do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, that makes me think my favorite Halloween costume this year um, I believe it's the AMC theaters where Nicole Kidman does that intro thing about the movies. And she's in a pin-striped <laughs> suit walking around the theater going like, the magic happens here. And there's a whole monologue. And they run, it, it's like this kind of a PSA of like, it's time to come back to the movies. And she's there's these shots of her like looking up at the screen like she just loves watching the movie so much. Somebody went, and I'm pretty sure it was a guy, as Nicole Kidman in that PSA. So pinstripe so suit. Wow. And then kind of just like all the pictures of like looking up with the with the kind of forced wonderment face. It's the funniest, funniest costume. <laughs> it was my favorite. It's so That's funny so you bring up good. Nicole Kidman because the movie in 1987 or whatever year <laughs> The Legend of Billie Jean King was uh, constantly on Billie TV. Jean. So what? So was <laughs> <laughs> what am I? Did I change? Yeah. You changed it to the that's, that's no, a different I, story. Thirdly, legendary tennis story. Yeah, there's a tennis <laughs> documentary that came on after the Legend of Billie Jean. No relation. Good cover. Uh, I Good watched cover. that, and then BMX Bandits was the mm. young Nicole Kidman, where she's like a badass BMX rider, and she's really? actually jumping a bike. It's some Australian movie, and it was on all the time. So anyway, that was one of my favorites. That was a great year. They have free, <laughs> stolen HBO. I think your dad climbed a pole to get you. It's so a really good. the most morally unsound thing. I don't know him to be a liar or a, a rule breaker in any way, but boy, he climbed up that pole and we got free HBO. It was great. Love it. What a, yeah. Maybe he just wanted to vet that, what's this fucking HBO? You want me to pay more for television? <laughs> Screw you. I'm going to steal it first. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. I vividly remember seeing him climb that pole, and I'm like, I think my dad's going to fall and or get electrocuted. This better be worth it. And, and then you see that arrested. HBO Chrome logo fly over that city, and you're da, like, na, 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 thank you, Dad, na, 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 na. for risking your life. Yes. For I mean, that was, viewings. we never had, we lived far enough out in the country where we didn't have cable. Uh, well, my dad wouldn't pay for it, but um, we got like three channels and we had the antenna on top of our roof that you had to turn the thing. It would go tick, 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 tick. And then the antenna would slowly turn and the, the fuzziness would slightly go away. Yes. But so when we got to see HBO, it was mostly at my Aunt Kathleen's house. And that intro when a movie was starting and we didn't care what the movie was. It did not matter. It was like the intro, you would be like, everybody sit down, be quiet. Like <laughs> it was the most exciting it really was. And I have talked about it a million times because I, uh, Yardley, I love miniatures and I've kind of indulged in it during quarantine, making little uh, 
dollhouses and stuff, but uh, I would pause that intro just to see the little cars and see, because it looked so real to me, but I knew people made it. It was just on a tabletop somewhere, and there's, it's, I, as a kid, I'm like, I want that to be my job, I think. So you're crafty. I mm-hmm. I, I do, I went to art school. I do like arts and crafts, yes. That's amazing. I do like to draw. <laughs> wow. Yeah, well. It's a side interest. Next, we'll find out that he actually designed that wallpaper behind him. Yes, that looks I, like jungle, it's a photo right? I took. And, and man, it cost a lot to print out. You're like, you're like Curious George when he painted it. He painted it all yes. on the wall. Yeah. You can see my toe at the bottom here. I was in the screen, actually. Oh. How I need, I have a question for you guys. How is, um, are you guys back to performing live? You, how is that going if you are? I, Last night, did an outdoor show, and audiences are back to not desperately laughing at everything <laughs> as, as though they missed it. Everyone's Rats. back to normal, and the judgment last night uh, seemed just like as fresh as two years ago. Uh, I, or maybe I just didn't do well, because on top of that, I am rusty. I will start one of my jokes like, oh, I'll do some of my tried and true bits uh, that I've been doing for years, and I forgot. Like, I'll get halfway through and forget how my own joke ended. (laughs) And then I'm trying to... And sometimes something good will come out of that, but there's a nervousness that I... That makes me feel like I'm 23 again doing it for the first time, and I can't hide it. And last night I was nervous, and the audience could smell it, and I just felt like a kid again, so... Do you think being outside, though, is part of that? Because... I think oh, yeah. that like that's why you know colleges and stuff where they're like you can't you can't have any of these college shows outside because the right. energy just goes away. Yeah, I'm surprised though because that show and the one down the street for me at Stories Bookstore are always great and they're outside and they're they don't sell drinks. I don't know why they're so well attended and great. Some people don't <laughs> want to be in comedy clubs and True. that's terrific. But last night, yeah, my material was about. Harley Davidsons and helicopters because that's what was distracting me the whole time. (laughs) It was in the middle of a joke and a Harley, that's loud Harley went by and set off a car alarm. And I'm like, well, do I have any jokes about car alarms? I got to (laughs) stop. Being so in the moment, but you have to like you need to you need to start writing about anything that could pass you on the street. Yeah, for outside comedy, that's a yeah, whole yeah. new area of like birds. We got to cover anything that could. I pass got bird. By. You know, I got bird material. Yes. I got that covered. I could do <laughs> yeah. birds for hours. Don't worry about the bird issue. Yeah, yeah. I got that. But uh, yeah, the short answer is, I feel like I'm starting over again, and that is frightening, but also exciting and I still I'm glad it's back and I love doing stand-up and so that's how I feel but last night I also had that thing where I kind of slept in the fetal position a lot of the night <laughs> mostly because it's comfortable I'm not I don't sleep on sure, my bed sure sure yeah, no, I yeah. Hear you. it's yeah, good it's for my, the yeah. spine good for yeah me. it's my mattress it's not my sadness <laughs> I have to say wait Yarley have you ever done um live oh, shows God, for no. small town dicks uh, no, we, it was funny is we were gearing up to do them and then the pandemic hit and then they, <laughs> and we were like, oh, all right, then we <laughs> did the one it. at, um, an, uh, the first crime con in DC and oh, yeah. we actually had Paul Holes as our live guest who is lovely. The best. That is someone I did. You mentioned this earlier about cornering them and I thought I would never do this, but at the Halloween party, Karen, I just cornered <laughs> him and all I asked was 
Golden State Killer questions and criminal questions. And then at the end of the night, when we all got Ubers home, everyone was waiting for their Uber. He and I were the last to have our cars come. <laughs> and then mine pulled up. Drunk. And and but yeah, well, sure. The, you're the, sure. the there was free fr- drinks there. You it did was it our to me. Exactly right. Halloween party. Yeah. Party, I just heard so about you know. it. Yeah. And then yeah. Paul was there it, at night. That warehouse district is kind of scary. It yeah. It like with no one around. And I could tell he was kind of nervous, but it was Paul Holes. And he's like, <laughs> Well, it says my car will be here in one minute. And I'm like, it's fine. You won't get murdered or anything. And he he laughed, uh, but then I left and he was just by himself. And I was like, should I have left him alone? I don't know why no. I was so worried about him. <laughs> no, you shouldn't have. Also, no. the funniest part is he was dressed like a cowboy. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, a midnight cowboy. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, I was going to say I miss stand-up in general because this podcast, of course, my favorite murder and the network and everything, I just don't have time. So I tried to, I tried to start doing it again um, before, right before the pandemic, like a couple months before, but I didn't take the time to write new material. So I would just go through my Twitter feed and be like, this is kind of funny. And it was all (laughs) very, like, it was, I just think it made me realize that like, as much as I love it, and I'm proud of myself to have been a stand-up comic, that part of my life where I'm like hungry and I have to prove that I'm the funny one, like that fire isn't as strong as it was before. And so uh, like my whole thing was the whole time I would be on stage, I'm like, this is someone else's spot I'm taking who would really have tried and not not be reading tweets. Yardley, I am going to make Karen do stand-up again. I know that once she's on stage and hears the laughter, she's going to remember that that's a specific (laughs) kind of love and she will do stand-up again. She's just saying she isn't right now. Sorry. Sorry to pull. That is just how it is. (laughs) It's just, well, it, no, no, no. I want to do it again, but it is that kind of thing. I have to say this, and I've told Chris this before, doing a podcast live is basically, it's like you're doing a Cliff's Notes version of stand-up comedy because the audience already loves you and is giving you the benefit of the doubt. So you can kind of say whatever and they're like, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where it stand up and start, you know, cutting my teeth there. It's the literal opposite where they hate you and you have to make them love you. But here's the thing, Karen, they come to my stand-up shows. These loving podcast fans are going to see stand-up for the first time. And I'm always feeling like you should be experiencing this because it is, uh, that's why I'm spoiled. That's why I felt bad the other night. No one, there was no podcast people there. And now I'm. <laughs> right, just, exactly. They were, yeah, a bunch of normies. Like, bunch of judgmental kids. But no, it it also, I feel like when you're doing it, you need to be talking about things everyone can relate to. And I'm literally going to be like, well, I talked to Steven the other day. Like, it's going to be, <laughs> this is so my life. So inside baseball. It's right. inside yeah. baseball. And it's like, my life experiences ordering stuff on Postmates and and Zooming for hours a day. You know what I mean? It's it's like, it's not really, uh, the life experience part is, takes work because I have to think outside, especially in quarantine. Like we did, Chris and I did a couple comedy shows that were like almost like fakey game shows. And that was fun because it was almost like no one had to do material. It was just like off the cuff, which, you know, that's always the best, but- there's so many good people in stand-up now, too. It's just like, there's people who are just like studied. They know what they're doing. Yeah. They're nailing it. So Sure. 
But I don't know. I feel like you're missed. I'm just going to I Yeah, there. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I just want to say, because I know you do have this huge network. I had such a good time on um, I Said No Gifts with Bridger. Uh, yeah, isn't he the uh, best? Isn't he, he hilarious? Was cool. He was so fun. <laughs> we had such a great chat. And uh, I very much enjoyed him. You, you got, you've just built this empire, you oh, and thank Georgia. You. I mean, incredible. Really incredible. It's like being lucky enough to have friends like Chris Fairbanks and Bridger Weiniger, who, like, that's the reason George and I were like, oh, yeah, definitely. Like, Bridger was like, I want to do a podcast called I Said No Gifts. And that's all he had. I was like, yes, <laughs> we have to do that. It's right. hilarious. And also the advertising, it's like he should have so much advertising because it's anything that could be a gift could be an ad on that show. But also because... I think to me, the way I enjoy podcasts is it's you're hanging out with someone that you like. So it's a very specific thing, but it's like, but I know like a person like Bridger, people should hang out with a person like Bridger. That's time well spent. That's (laughs) a person that's being super funny and super original, but also very himself, very like authentic. Yeah. Um, You know, all the, it's like, you don't get that every day, especially I think these days. So Thank you. That's the ultimate compliment because, like, it's basically the people I like the most and that I hang around with. Well, it's so smart because the other charter we have at Paperclip, besides being the first to say yes, is no assholes allowed. (laughs) Yes. You know, those are really the only two rules. Yeah. Yeah, And it hasn't been enforced so far in Hollywood. (laughs) No. No. I've seen assholes thrive. I mean, yes, yes. (laughs) That's the. I think that's the need for the rule is because that you're you're the exception to basically the Hollywood standard, which is people coming in and throwing their weight around or whatever. And I was trained by a lot of those people. I spent a lot of time with a lot of those people. So (laughs) this doing this network, it's like there's a lot of times where I'll be like, and I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling because this is how I express myself when I'm frustrated. (laughs) Okay, is anyone mad? All right, it really is like you know, assholes get their way in this town. So it's good to block out that kind of thing where it's like, no, let's all, we, it work is better and the result is always better when people know you don't get to put all that shit over here. The work is already so hard that if you're having to put up with people who you don't like, who you, who don't get you, who don't like, you don't have the same sensibility or at least the same goal in a lovely way fuck it dude yeah exhausting yeah Yeah. and that's the other reason why i've missed stand-up is because that's the only sub industry uh with show business where everyone does relate and everyone does realize what the other is going through and it's like a peer group and it's been fun last night felt fun you got to get back into it karen okay i will i will (laughs) with all that extra time you have yes exactly (laughs) yeah I do miss the hanging out. That's the yeah. that's the fun part. It's like that is the camaraderie and the kind of like when other people that you like and respect like what you do, you know, like the fact that you even know that I have a network is a beautiful compliment to me, Yardley. It's just like, that's amazing. I can't, yeah. you know, this is a dream. It's so cool. I also did the Percast, which yes. I loved with Steven. <laughs> You're Steven. Um, but who who is it you who says... This is exactly right. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, I 
love it so much. Yeah. We were t- we were trying to do. Um, <laughs> we, we had this idea, and Georgia was very generous with that too because I was like, we should split it. We should both, and she's like, no, no, you do it. And we were trying to do either. It started as should we do a robot, the robot voice in like a sci-fi movie where it's like, you know, like right. no, Dave, I'm not going to close the pod bay door or whatever, like (laughs) robot voice. But then we were like, what about the like subway voice? That's like, you know, or the hospital voice where you have to be quiet. We were doing all these weird kinds of things of like, because I said, however I say it, people are going to hear it a bunch of times if they listen. So it's going to get irritating. So you thought you'd go with sultry. Yes, it's it's like velvet. (laughs) The elevator uh, uh, announcer now is very uh, is being very sexual. Where she goes seventh floor. I've been like, well, why am I getting turned on in the elevator? Chris, that might be a quarantine issue. That might be just you being excited to be out and about. The doors open and I'm just kind (laughs) of humping the wall. Sorry, I was the voice triggered me. The doors open, you just don't move. You're like, uh, what? What am I supposed to do? Gotta stay here. (laughs) Oh, what a joy! Anything else? Do you want to plug or talk about or anything? Yeah, I guess uh, the other thing I started to do during quarantine, um, so with the podcast, as you know, Small Town Dicks, you should listen to it. It's yep. very good. I love that name. Um, <laughs> but I also started my own cooking show on uh, Instagram and uh, the Tube of You, as I like to call it. Oil and water. Oil and water. And so it started as, it's really a game where I draw a random sweet ingredient, a random savory ingredient, and I make it into a random thing. Like, it's a cake, it's a pie, it's a pan dowdy, it's a soup, it's a casserole. <laughs> and it's funny and it's dumb, and each episode is about seven minutes, and uh, I called it Dumb Entertainment for Troubling Times. <laughs> That's uh, terrific. And is it really just the two ingredients that you happen to have in your kitchen at the time? No, then I say, so I draw my ingredients and then I say, okay, let's go to market. And then, you know, I go to market and in a market, I try to figure out how, like the worst thing I made was a year ago Halloween where I just, we had predetermined it would be a candy apple because it's Halloween. Yeah. Um, but the, all the ingredient and all the ingredients, sweet and savory, both had to be orange. And so I drew salmon roe. <laughs> I hate caviar and um, <laughs> Skittles. So I had to get salmon roe and Skittles on my candy apple. It was so disgusting, I literally set it on fire. (laughs) (laughs) That is really gross. (laughs) So gross. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, fish and Skittles. Uh, Ah. Although that would be a great name for something. I don't know what exactly. Fish and Skittles. (laughs) That, That also is such a good idea for a show because it's almost like an Iron Chef thing, except yes. for it's more of like, I mean, no offense, but I don't, I don't know yes. if you're Iron Chef. Like, I, <laughs> <laughs> it, you're, I mean, I'm always trying to make it good, and I've actually made some surprisingly good things. Um, this week, uh, we released a cheese it caramel crepe. Oh, recipe, which uh, turned out to be pretty good, and I decided I would. I would not just fill it with caramel and Cheez-Its. I, I pulverized the Cheez-Its and put it in the crepe batter and then made like cannoli filling and yeah. added caramel sauce on top of oh, that. And it turned out to be not terrible, which is high praise on oil and water. <laughs> so it sounds 
<laughs> like it would be. Sorry, I'm a big Cheez Its fan. <laughs> but yes. you know, there is a limit where if you, and I think it might be like 30, but like they, it, the tang builds up. <laughs> so then you have to stop after a while. And I, but I wonder if that would actually, it would make it like a more powerful ingredient because when you mix stuff with it, it doesn't necessarily fade. No, it doesn't fade. It has a very distinct flavor. <laughs> very. There is no mistaking that's a cheese it and not just some grated cheddar cheese. Yeah. <laughs> very specifically made. Yes. Oh, I love that. That sounds like a that's an Instagram show. Yes, Instagram at Oil and Water Food. Um, but I also think I'm gonna morph uh, into I sort of feel like, okay, this is so fun. I've played the game. I think I'm now gonna do a cooking show called Stupid Good. <laughs> Where I make things, iconic recipes from iconic chefs, and actually, I'm actually a pretty good cook, so I'm actually going to make things I've never made before and see if they're stupid good. Yeah, nice. like that that cake that has Coca-Cola poured yeah. in, and then you flip it over, whatever that's cake? called. Dump cake. Uh, yeah, dump cake. Dump the best cake. name. See? <laughs> it's the dump best cake? name for, but that, I do want to try it. You have to, because actually I hear they're good. That infomercial, though, got me through some, what I think were very dark times. There was a, a couple of years where I kind of just always was laying on the couch in a dark room watching TV, it felt like. And that would come on. <laughs> it was like, you know, I don't, I don't think I was paying my mortgage very well. I had a lot of like bad writing jobs and whatever. And that thing would come on. And that lady, um, Kathy Somebody for Dump Cakes. And she was like, you can make this. And she's the, it's the most neighbor, your neighbor lady of yeah. all time. And she's like, yeah. you just pour in a can of Sprite and now you have apple pie. And like the, she makes it seem like you can do anything. Like all you need is a can of Sprite or what, you know, whatever the recipe is. Like any soda. Really positive lady kind of got me off that couch, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like a trip to Walmart. Like when, you, when you're when you feeling sad and you're on your couch and the, a dump cake infomercial comes on, you realize everything's okay in yeah. your life. <laughs> I totally get that. Yeah. I really do. I've had similar dark times. Yeah, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, you watch a lady open a can of soda and pour it onto cake mix and you're like, you know what? It's fine. It's like we're all just doing our best, <laughs> right? <We're> right. <laughs> we all just, we all just want some dessert with like yeah. less than twenty steps. We want a nice lady with like very fake red hair to make it for us. You know, yes, pretty basic. Preferably dessert first because life <laughs> yeah. is short. You yeah. never know. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, this has been a dream. Thank you, yeah, so you're guys. For yeah, being you here are with the us. best. You made this so easy, and I feel like we didn't nerd out too much. I feel like we were calm and collected, and you uh, were perfect. But also, you nerded out with us, which was such a beautiful. I'm on the same page yeah, with you. You really are. Really, you're the best. <laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> and you're also you're already booked for uh, whenever it happens, probably in several months. But I'm so excited. Yeah, you I'm can't really get out of that super one. excited. <laughs> yeah, Karen, Karen is an excellent driver. So I'll yep. just put that advertisement out there. You'll be yeah. safe. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait for the shenanigans. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, thanks for being on. You've been listening to Do You Need a Ride? DYN AR. 
This has been an Exactly Right production. Produced by Annalise Nelson. Engineered by Stephen Ray Morris. Mixed by Roy Tanaka. Theme song by Karen Kilgariff. Artwork by Chris Fairbanks. Follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Dynar Podcast. That's D-Y-N-A-R Podcast. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. And you're welcome. Thank <laughs> you.